At RCR, we're on a mission to revive honest media, to report on critical censored stories, and to hold those in positions of power to account. But to make this happen, RCR needs to grow, and grow fast. For that, we need your support. Our Foundation Members Club is now open. Join us today and play your part in bringing back media you can trust. Learn more at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash members and see how you can join the mission that's making a difference. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. All right, we're back into the swing of things. And of course, Monday is our Health Hacks Day. And I want to welcome back Glenn Davies, Dr. Glenn Davies of ReversalNZ.co.nz. Glenn, great to have you back. Happy New Year. It's not too late to say that, is it, still? Not too late, Paul. And thank you uh, very much for having me and Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Uh, What kind of break have you had? Or maybe you didn't even have a break. I don't know. Now, Paul, I think I've had the most fantastic holiday I've ever had in my life. Uh, we went to the beach, uh, typical, absolutely typical Kiwi summer. It was fantastic. You didn't get caught by this uh, these sweltering, boiling temperatures that uh, we've uh, had um, reported virtually every day in a sort of like a fear porn kind of way. You weren't paying attention to that, were you? Yeah, well, I guess at the beach, if it gets hot, you just um, well, lie in water, don't you? That's <laughs> why you go. <laughs> so no, fantastic summer, thank you. That, that, that's a that's a quick question um, because it's been kind of intimated, though not directly said, that there was some sort of health risk to that. You know, that uh, temperatures uh, being high. Now, thirty degrees is not high in my book. I've experienced that here, even in Wellington over the decades, every now and then. So uh, is there any sort of threat to health from just the normal variance in summer temperatures? There's a question. I I think it may affect the, the extremely unwell. I think when you look at those kind of reports that you're referring to from um, from Europe, uh, it's, it's sort of the very elderly that have less capacity to manage heat, I think. I think for, for you and I and most of us in uh, in New Zealand, particularly with the humidity being lower, I think we're pretty safe. And also I noticed, just another quick one, that the med service was recommending slip, slop, slap, which is not really the business of the med service, I wouldn't have thought. They don't know about uh, vitamin D, for example. Yeah, fantastic topic you're bringing up, and and I think all, what what the listeners will realise is that with the majority of the things we're discussing, it's all about balance, isn't it? And yeah, the balance point is you don't want to get sunburnt. You know, I, I I'm I'm pretty certain that there is injury that occurs from sunburn. Yeah, but equally, you don't want to be so sunphobic that you're not generating vitamin D. So there's a balance point. And working out where that balance is for you, uh, depending particularly on uh, on how much pigmentation you have in your skin, is important. Yeah, that, that those nuances weren't covered by the uh, Met service, and in, in that that may have been the way it was reported. Okay, let's start off this year, um, and uh, we've already talked about some of these, I think, in twenty twenty three. But let's sort of consolidate it into a list: the health hacks to achieve optimal health. 
And this, I'm sure, is the goal of everyone. So there are 11 health hacks. Where do you want to start? Okay. Um, none of the people that uh, were listening last year will be surprised to know that my number one health hack is avoid sugar. Yeah. I consider sugar to be a poison, and I would encourage people not to let that poison pass their lips. So number one, avoid sugar. Is that all sugar? Or, I mean, again, the moderation rule, does that kick in? Or should you really try and avoid it like the plague? Yeah, well, that's a fan, that's a fantastic question. And and I think people who are metabolically well uh, can tolerate a uh, a small amount or a reasonable amount, but certainly people who have any metabolic challenges. So with that, I'm talking about prediabetes and diabetes and overweight and hypertension and gout. You know, I, I think you'd be pretty strict on avoiding sugar. Okay, so that's number one. No argument there. Number one, avoid sugar. And that's never talked about by our health authorities. Let's just um, make that point that I can see anyway. Yeah, and I, I it definitely is number one. Sugar is a poison. Avoid it. Okay. All right. What's next? Okay, number two, a little bit more, there's a little bit more discussion in this topic, but this is a general instruction for how to eat healthily. So it is eat whole foods and avoid the ultra-processed foods. So transition our eating from ultra-processed foods to whole foods. So I think it needs a little bit of definition. So I, I've done a, quite a lot of research on this topic of ultra-processed food. What is an ultra-processed food? Well, the first thing is, in the Western world, a teenager, 80%, 80% of their diet is ultra-processed foods. Wow. So... The intention of the food industry, I think, was good. Uh, if you go back to the 1940s in the United States, I understand that there were quite a number of American men who were malnourished and they didn't meet the requirement for getting into the U.S. military. We can't have that. <laughs> um, so, so there was a period of time in the U.S. around then that there wasn't enough food. So what they said about was how can we create more food which, which was a good intention. What they looked at is removing the carbohydrate, the protein, and the fats from products which they had in large amounts but couldn't be stored or transported well. So uh, corn, for example. So they would remove them and turn them into flours or oils, which had an unlimited shelf life. They could then be transported and stored and then reconstituted into uh, and I'm I'm doing the um, two finger italics thing here. Um, food, but there was a problem um, when you just combine flour and oil and protein powder. It doesn't taste that good. So that's where the food industry got really involved by adding emulsifiers, preservatives, colorings, and flavorings to reconstitute this into something which uh, could be considered as food. And that's probably quite a uh, commendable intention. But I think this is where the food industry got carried away. They realized that if they got the bliss point, the bliss point being the place where the fat and sugar content is such that it becomes highly addictive and you cannot control the amount you eat, 
they then realized that if they did that, they would sell more of their product and increase um, their profits. And I think where they perhaps overstepped the line in the greatest context was advertising to children. So creating the bliss point that was ideal for children and then marketing, particularly these um, sugary um, cereals to children. And I think that's where it went from a good intention to, you know, overstepping the mark and causing harm. I was in America um, for the pretty well the last week of January. And one thing in California, and one thing I noticed, and I was interested to look because I'm, I now know a bit more about this after talking with you and other folks, you know, the proportion of overweight to what I would call normal body size or mass index, whatever the, the term is. And overwhelmingly, the majority of particularly women that I observed were seriously overweight, yeah. like seriously with, you know, well, I don't need to describe the the various body parts, but they were, some of them were quite enormous and it was a consistent thing more than the men actually. That's interesting. It's not scientific. I know, but that's, that was my observation over a week. No, they're certainly backed up um, by, by the science. And, and the interesting point is this has only happened in the last 100 years or the last 80, 70 years. You know, this is this is definitely a recent thing that's happened and it coincides particularly with the introduction of these ultra-processed foods. And so my number two health hack is get rid of the ultra-processed foods and moving to whole foods. So what is a whole food? The defini- definition is something that has recently been growing, walking, flying or swimming. If it has recently been growing, walking, flying or swimming, then it is a whole food. And, you know, that stuff that grows in the garden, that's, um, you know, that's meat, fish, chicken and vegetables. If we can go back to eating the majority of our diet that meets that definition and the minority of our diet that's ultra processed, I think we will deal with that, uh, that observation that you made, which is particularly true in the United States, but in New Zealand, we are not immune. No, and also uh, recently I saw a story, I think it was in the Daily Mail or the Telegraph, it was one of the English papers online, uh, maybe even the Guardian, and that was the headline was that uh, growing your own food um, leaves a unacceptable carbon footprint. So <laughs> here we go. Um, the whole foods that you're talking about are now a threat to climate, potentially. Yeah. I I don't want to um, be drawn too much into that debate, but from purely a health perspective, um, grow your own vegetables if you can. Yeah. Have your own chickens if you can. You know, I I think that is the healthiest thing that you can that you can do for your health. Um, I, I I do understand the argument that that is being made, but having your own garden at home is such an important thing for your physical health, but for your mental health. So I'm an absolute fan of of gardening. And if it produces one or two more molecules of carbon dioxide, I'll accept that. And um, a question that possibly some of our listeners might have, in terms of the whole foods you talk about, are the whole foods available in supermarkets? Because we know that that they have to meet a certain, particularly vegetables and fruit, a, a certain... Um, cosmetic um, benchmark, let's say, uh, in their look. So 
that that food's okay, right? I mean, it looks like the real thing. It is the real thing. Yeah, I would consider it the real thing. To keep it simple, if it's recently been uh, been growing in the garden, Recent, yeah. uh, even if it's a commercial garden, I would consider that a whole food, yes. Okay, so uh, loud and clear on that. Um, I think we're up to hack number, what, three now? So We're up to number three. Yep. And this, uh, this fits in with my eat whole foods, avoid sugar, and use traditional fats, not these processed industrial seed oils. So what do I mean by that? So I'm talking about avoiding canola oil, uh, sunflower oil, safflower oil, those big one-liter bottles of yellow um, oil, all of those vegetable oils that are processed, I would consider toxic and I would avoid them. The problem is, if you're a food manufacturer, that is going to be the cheapest oil to use. So all of these processed and ultra-processed foods will inevitably contain these cheap oils, which I consider toxic. I think they cause inflammation and they lead and contribute to cardiovascular disease. So avoid them and replace them with traditional fats. So I'm talking about butter, not margarine, olive oil, not canola oil, um, coconut oil, uh, rather than uh, sunflower oil in your pan. Now, this is what I'm talking about. And if you're eating a whole food diet, I don't think you have to be scared of the fat that comes naturally in your meat and your fish and your chicken. So if you're eating a whole food diet, you can eat the skin on the chicken. Uh, if you're eating a whole food diet, you can eat the fat on your chop. That's that's the point I'm making. So have a whole food diet with traditional fats, avoiding sugar. I mentioned um, the other day to someone that I like to have butter. And they looked at me like, oh, my God, think of your heart. There's a belief out there that butter is kind of dangerous to your health. Yeah, um, you, know. you did right. And that concept that these saturated fats are bad for the heart, it's a 70-year-old idea. It dates back to around 1901 where some Russian researchers fed meat, fatty meat to rabbits and the rabbits developed heart disease. So you don't have to be a scientist to work out that there's a major flaw in that experiment, uh, yep. namely that um, rabbits are herbivores and uh, and there could potentially be problems if they eat a completely different diet from what they're supposed to. But that, that was the birth of the idea, and it has never been proven, to my knowledge, that eating saturated fat increases risk of heart disease. So I consider it a myth. And I would encourage people who are eating a whole food diet that they can eat these traditional fats and they can eat them safely. Okay. And uh, on the other side, the uh, ultra-processed vegetable oils that you listed out before, which you consider um, toxic, I think was the word you used, how can we still allow them to be you know, sold to the public or, or, or remain in the food chain if they're toxic? And we're having unprecedented levels of cardiovascular disease and our health system's not coping with the waiting lists, yet we sort of bang on with something that, well, you, you're saying is toxic. And I think not just you, there's quite a body of evidence that, that they are now. 
yet we just carry on like like it, there's nothing mm-hmm. to see there. So you're entering uh, the this argument of um, of public health and the influence of um, industry on politics, and and I think that's the field where your answer lies. I wouldn't claim to be an absolute uh, expert in that field, but I think there's a very strong influence from industry um, on decisions which are made uh, by politicians which uh, end up influencing public health. I think if we're going to make changes to uh, the availability and price point of these seed oils, it needs to go right up through these lobbyists, uh, right up through Parliament, right up through the food industry. It's a little bit um, beyond my personal um, yep, remit, I understand. Yeah, mm. but still, you know, that, that that's the question that comes to mind. Because, and, uh, um, yeah. yeah. And, Paul, people, people can vote with their wallet. You know, True. so if people say, I'm not going to buy that product because it contains um, safflower oil or sunflower oil or canola oil, and they buy the product which is made with extra virgin olive oil, eventually the manufacturers will change their practices because it's all about profit. Yeah, but calling it a vegetable oil and not having the bandwidth to take in any more information than that, if you're Mr. or Mrs. Average, let's say, I don't, don't mean to sound condescending, but, you know, um, then that's kind of all you need to hear. To, to yeah, It's like calling something a vaccine when it's not a vaccine, you know. It's, it's a clever marketing ploy to call it vegetable oil too because it's not a vegetable oil. You know, um, how long do you have to squeeze a carrot for to get oil out of it? You know, like like vegetables have limited amount of oil in them. These are seed oils, so yeah. they they should be called highly industrialized and processed seed oils. Would be more accurate. Um, I don't know. I just um, I would encourage people to educate themselves on on this topic and then make their own decisions. But you will spend more money when you have traditional fats um, in your food than you would if you use these cheap um, processed oils. You probably feel better, though. You, you might feel better. Your aching, aching yeah. joints and aching muscles will reduce because the inflammation level in your body will drop. There you go. Anything mm. more to say about traditional fats? Uh, we could we could go on forever, but yeah. they taste yeah. amazing. You know, butter yeah. tastes better than margarine. Olive oh. oil tastes better than sunflower oil. Spend spend the time, spend the money, and go for these traditional ones. Do you remember that? I can't believe it's not butter. Butter, that was a, a big thing for a while. It was uh, completely um, synthetic, but they somehow tweaked it so it was very hard to tell the difference. And that was the marketing um, strapline for it. Well, these ideas that we can manufacture a food from reconstituted ingredients and it will be as good as the original. I would say let's take the safe approach and have the original. You know, for example, um, artificial chicken, you know, artificial let's, let's chicken. chicken. Oh, you know? Yeah. Well, is it Italy that's banned artificial lab-grown meat now? Yeah. Um, interesting topic, isn't it? But why, let's just – we're lucky in New Zealand. We, we have quality – access to high-quality um, beef and – Lamb, for now. For now. yeah, 
And and just before I came online, uh, a friend who's a farmer dropped off half a um, half a lamb to go into the uh, freezer at home. So nice. um, we're lucky. All right. Um, what's next? Okay, um, movement. So I've deliberately chosen the word movement rather than exercise because we know that there are health benefits just from moving without actually having to go as far as to go to the gym or go for a run. So the idea is movement. And that's as simple as if you have a desk job, every 10 minutes stand up. You you don't have to do 10 sit-ups and 10 press-ups. Just stand up and sit back down again. And we know there's actually health benefits in doing that. You know, so movement and a lot of people get put off by the idea of exercise, but move. Do nothing more than move. And this term move, um, being sedentary is the new smoking. There is the same level of health risk associated with not moving as there was or still is with smoking. So this is not like just a small print piece of advice. This is this is a big ticket item. You've got to move. And if you if you love exercise or you enjoy exercise, absolutely get out and exercise. Um, and it's good for mental health. I like running, and I'm not as fast as I used to be, let me tell you that, but that's okay. Um, And I run past a gym, which is usually full of people, and I wonder what's better for you, Um, sort of lying on a contraption. I mean, I I don't have a bias either way, but I I wonder, um, lying on a contraption and doing these sort of um, exercises or actually getting out into the wilderness or the, the, the spatial um, yeah. part of the world and sort of doing what the body has always kind of been designed to do, you know, um, to either think, walk or, or, yeah. or get along at a canter like I do. Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. What are your thoughts? So you've asked a fantastic question, um, really, really good question. So the first thing I would say is do what you enjoy and do what you are going to continue to do. You know, so if you enjoy the gym, go to the gym. If you enjoy running, uh, run if you like doing yoga um, in front of your TV. Do that. Do what you enjoy. But the scientific answer to your question is, I think, a combination of both is ideal. If you can combine your aerobic activity, like walking or running, with some resistance training, which might be body weight stuff, like doing your press ups and sit ups, or it may be going to the gym and and using weights, or it may be Pilates. What whatever you choose. That's the ideal, the combination of both. But doing one or the other is way, way better than doing nothing at all. Just a quick question on smoking, if you don't mind. Uh, I've yes. been a smoker before, like an addicted smoker. Many years ago, gave up. But every now and then, I like a social um, smoke. And when I was overseas recently, I had a few um, with beers that we were having after doing a hard day's work, because I was there to work, by the way. And I wondered, okay, one or two or three is not bad, probably has minimal impact. Is there any level of smoking that is tolerable to the body without any downside to health? Just a genuine question. I don't claim to, you know, have I don't have any thoughts either way, but um, I certainly didn't come back and start sort of chain smoking again. But it was nice just to have, you know, the, the odd social thing and i just wanted to is that doing harm to me should i should i entertain that or or was i being stupid 
Yeah, I I'm not sure I can answer your question um, scientifically based <laughs> yeah. based on the literature. It's not a topic yeah. I've looked at recently. Yeah. Uh, I guess there is a balance point where the benefits of the relaxation and the socialization uh, is negates the risk from the smoking. I just yeah. don't know yeah. where that balance point yeah. is. My yeah. concern my concern is the addictiveness of of nicotine and the risk of uh, somebody with with less self-control than yourself becoming addicted to smoking again or you can feel the body say you can feel your body saying oh i remember this oh yeah this was good come on come on yeah Yeah, i mean it's definitely in there you know the the yeah um, Um, anyway uh, yeah yeah, i think it's a dangerous uh dangerous risk to take yeah fair enough all right anything more to say about moving what do we move on to now we can move on to hydration. I I think a really neglected uh, area of health, particularly in the elderly. I I would say, you know, elderly people, whether this is due to their difficulty with uh, mobility or whether it's related to the challenges they might have with the urinary system, I think um, a lot of elderly people need to drink more water. Right. But but this issue of dehydration is not confined to the elderly. And I think being dehydrated is a major problem, particularly in the summer. You know, so I think remembering to drink. But it, it leads on to this other important question. Is our water as safe as we think it is. And it leads to this question of, do we need to filter our town water or not? Um, I think it's now, I I don't think there's any argument any longer that fluoride is a neurotoxin and there is no no persisting argument for adding adding it to our water supply. It, It needs to be removed. But if you live in an area where the water is fluoridated, I think you need at least a minimal um, filtration system that removes the fluoride. Um, I know that there's some extremely complex um, and uh, expensive filtration systems, but I think at a minimum it needs to remove the neurotoxin from the water. Um, So maintain hydration, but ensure that your water is of good, safe drinking quality. I can hear the applause right now with you saying that. Um, our audience is very, very across this, and um, and that would have been music to their ears to hear that. Can you rely on them? Because the, the um, concentration of fluoride in water is so low, so you have to have some incredible filtering system, wouldn't you, to, or is it there's some sort of subatomic or or um, molecular process in, in pulling out the fluoride? Yeah, I I um, I think it would be a really important show if it hasn't already been um, covered. I know that on RCA you've had a lot of discussion about um, the dangers of fluoride. Yep. Have you actually looked at what filtration or what level of filtration system you need no, to we remove haven't. fluoride from no. the water? No, I would... Haven't. I would love that to be a, a topic if you if you can cover that because, you know, with chlorinated water you can tell just from that simple jug. You know, you you pour it into the top and it's got a simple filter. You can tell it's removed the chlorine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it removes the fluoride as well, but I I don't want people to listen to this and then think I'm going to buy um, bottles of water for the rest of my life because that creates 
a, a major concern as well with uh, with the waste created from the plastic bottles. So we don't we don't know if that water is fluoride free anyway, do we? Um, yeah, I think um, I think if it's spring water, it is because it's oh, okay. come out yeah. come yeah. out of a spring. Yeah, yeah, out of a I town supply though, a, it might be different. Yeah, I know sometimes when you um, visit places like Thailand, you can um, you can taste the chlorine in the water, so they've um, just um, run it out of the tap and resealed the bottle. I don't think that happens in New Zealand. That's a very good idea. We'll look into um, doing something on on filtration in that respect. Um, is there any? I mean, I, I know what it's like to feel thirsty, but when you're talking about hydration, particularly for the elderly, is there any point that your body must tell you that you need to hydrate? It's an interesting debate because there's a, a lot of people that would advocate drinking uh, two to three litres of water a day or, or the eight glasses of water a day. Other people would say um, drink when you're thirsty. But your question around the elderly, I think a lot of elderly people uh, lose their thirst response. And I think they do have to probably set a target um, of, you know, 1.5 litres a day or more. Yeah. And you can just um, distribute that through the day. You don't need to do it all in one go, right? Don't do it all in one day, but you'd probably focus it towards the start of the day so you don't wake up too many times at night to go to the toilet. Yeah. Yeah, that, that becomes a problem. Okay. So we've just heard five of Glenn's top 11 health hacks to achieve optimal health. We're out of time for today's health hacks. We'll come back, uh, Glenn, if you don't mind, next Monday with the uh, other six. Would have liked to have got to them all today, but uh, as always, time against us. So if that's all right with uh, you, it's all right with me. Thank you, Glenn. All right. Lovely to talk to you, Paul. And um, yeah, thank you for listening, listeners. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Thank you for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to, Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057, or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.